I mean, what's kind of beautiful about this movie is that he deals with a bunch of CD people, including Ed Harris, who's part of the FBI. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But he himself never does anything actually illegal. Like he follows the I'm law. Pre- I'm pretty from- sure he he kicked Wilfred Brimley to death. So besides that. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Alon. And this is David. And today, I finally watched The Firm. I think the most unbelievable thing is that I've seen this movie before you. Yeah, but I mean, you watched it within like the last year or something. So, you know, like, pump the brakes. What? So? <laughs> I started it uh, within the last year, too. And... I don't know. I've started a lot of movies recently where like for whatever reason at that point in time, I wasn't ready to watch like that movie. And this like, I don't know. I'm also in kind of a slump with movies where I'm like, I'm kind of glad we do the podcast to force me to like to finish movies. Um, You know, with what the kids get in the way and all that's what they do is just get in the way of my movie watching. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But I digress. Um, But I didn't finish it. And then now coming back to it, um, Obviously, I always say I'm glad we do it, even when it's like a bad movie. But this was even when you're not glad. (laughs) But this was a good movie. Um, It's just like tonally so different than, you know, I saw the trailer before and I've like seen these photos where it's just fucking Tom Cruise running, which he loves to do in all of his movies. But like, yeah, I thought this was going to be darker than it was. And it's really like. I don't know. It's like a fucking an early 90s like thriller, but still like never feels dangerous. You know what I mean? Like at no point was I like worried for him or like it's just the stakes well, felt you, like lower. Were you not worried for him because it's Tom Cruise? Yeah, I imagine Tom Cruise, you know, Tom Cruise doesn't take parts where Tom Cruise doesn't, you know, succeed. Right. I mean, I couldn't imagine Tom Cruise in something like The Departed in like in in Damon's role or something like that, you know? I want to do a Tom Cruise impression where he's like, I'm not a fucking cop. <laughs> yeah, but you have to jump up on Oprah's couch to do a good impression of Tom Cruise. Topical. Topical. <laughs> Circa early 2000s. Um, yeah, I'm both, I, so, you know, I watching this film and knowing really little to nothing about how lawyers are are made and how huh how they're made in a lab oh in a lab yeah well you know it's just like how firms seek out lawyers and and you know kind of try to beat each other in the in the offer area it, it it was interesting to me and and i don't know if it was just the movie being you know a movie but is that kind of the way it is still well i wasn't top five at harvard so it wasn't we didn't have the exact same experience that <laughs> mitch mcdeer had um it also came out during a recession 
but it is. Um, a lot of times you'll have these firms that will come to law schools and uh, they will, you know, you put in a resume and like your transcripts from that point and you get, you know, internships, uh, paid jobs for, you know, eight weeks during the summer. And then a lot of times if you don't fuck up, then that like turns into your your job. Um, and so, but yeah, with like the really high up people at schools and I imagine like the better the school, the, the more it works like that. Um, we should get Garrett on because he went to a better law school than I did. But um, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it's like it, they do. It's not really like competing like that. And then this is also kind of taken to 11 because like this is a mafia law firm. Like these are just bad guys who can offer like way more money. Right. Um, but yeah, like, you know, you you interview with a ton of people. They're giving out offers. And if they have someone they really want. But the the, the thing now is, and I guess we can get into the money now. Because this is like, I found so interesting and I wanted to talk about, and I know you did too, because we talked about before this. So I think when we hear his offers in the beginning, when we're getting this montage, the most he was offered is $70,000, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and he was offered $96,000 That's by the deal. this. That's the deal he took. Right. From the Memphis firm. And just like in a numbers thing, which is, is so 70,000 in 1993 is equivalent to about 146, according to Google. And then when I looked up earlier, 96,000 is equivalent to about 200,000. Right. That's like the, the, per, the purchasing power of it today. Yeah. And, and um, like he said, it's like in LA, it wouldn't have been that big of a deal. But in Memphis, it's like you can go so much farther with it. And I couldn't quickly find the cost of living difference um, for 1993, but in today's terms, it looked like the cost of living was about 53% different. Well, it's kind of crazy because whether you're you're talking about 200,000, you know, above that, it, it's it's like it's almost like coming out of uh, college with an offer of a quarter of a million dollars a year. Especially if you add in that they repay his student loans, give him a car and a house. It's basically that. When I don't even know, you know, it's funny is, so there are obviously other, there are other jobs you can go into where you can make more, but there's kind of few that you can go into straight out of school and make as much. So like doctors, right, have their four years of residency. Yeah. Um, and then like, you know, um, like kind of like investment banker types, they don't make 250,000. Like, I don't think they make it right out the fucking gates. Maybe, maybe some do. I don't know. But um, th that part of it is interesting. So there's this thing called like the crevasse scale. It's like one of the top law firms. And they basically, a lot of times will set the market for what all other big law firms try and match. So that currently is at $215,000 for coming out of law school plus uh plus a repayment on the loans uh mercedes benz and a house no they don't do that shit um <laughs> you know maybe the mafia firms do and um it's funny is like other lawyers i always talk with it um are just like every lawyer i've talked to who when we've brought up that has always said no lawyer out of law school is worth that amount of money because it's <laughs> well, like you sure. don't 
you don't know what you're doing. Well, what's insane is that not only is he top five of his class in Harvard, which is very impressive, but what what's crazy is that he's offered this before passing the bar. Is that normal? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because oh, you it take is? the bar, you take the bar after you graduate, and there are. It's funny too because there are some people. So I passed the bar before I had a job, um, first try, whatever you know. Um, <laughs> and then I would like hear about other people who had jobs and were working, and like failed like two or three times. And like one guy I heard about was like about to take it his fourth time, and the firm was like, "We have to fire you this time." if you don't pass. And then he failed again and they didn't fire him. They just let him try again. I was like, what the, like guys, there's so many attorneys. Like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you keeping this guy on? It's uh, yeah. Well, what's funny too, is like the whole crux of the movie is that. And Tom Cruise realizes this towards the end. He's like, I can get everything I want, everything I need out of the law firm, the FBI, everything. If I myself, just follow the law like straight and narrow. And apart from like, I mean, what's kind of beautiful about this movie is that he deals with a bunch of CD people, including Ed Harris, who's part of the FBI. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But he himself never does anything actually illegal. Like he follows the I'm law. Pre- I'm apart pretty from- sure he, he kicked Wilford Brimley to death. So besides that, <laughs> Wait, what what part when? When uh Wilford Brimley comes in and shoots uh the guy from Saw and oh, then he gets the jump oh, on him, he right. kicks the gun away and then kicks him like twenty more times. No, now, he I wouldn't... think he's alive. <laughs> Plus it would be self defense, which technically is not against the law. I mean, so if let's say Wilford Brimley dies, right, then the only person who can testify about this is Tom Cruise. And so, yeah, Tom Cruise would not get charged. But if you had a video showing <laughs> you this incident, which we do, right, Tom Cruise gets the drop on him. The gun is away. Wilford Brimley is violently obese and he just continually kicks the shit out of him on the ground. Like at that point, it's not self-defense after like two kicks and then he just keeps kicking him. Um, what, what's beautiful about that scene, I know we're jumping like way ahead, is that he kills Jigsaw and it just makes it look <laughs> like that they killed him like each other somehow, like maybe, you know, investigated uh, investigators can solve that. But um, who whoever finds the trail of bodies that Tom Cruise leaves behind is going to have the most confusing time because you and I both know that everything is probably being covered up by the mafia at that point. Yeah, yeah, I don't there's I don't no paper there's... trail. There's nothing. Um yeah, the, anyways, well, I mean they never found the bodies uh from the two lawyers that died in the beginning of the movie, right? Or right. or they fa- they they did find them but then they didn't find the, the third body, the guy who was captaining the boat. So um no, but yeah, we what, can get back to My point is is that he follows the law and he kind of and I think that's what's really cool about the movie is that is that that's all he had to do to kind of win out. Well, yeah, I mean, the movie does do this like very hokey kind of like if I just do the right thing, then everything will work out. You know what I mean? (laughs) Which is. Yeah, yeah. And I and I kind of also wish that they kind of invented a better thing than like the 
the way they got Capone is the way they got these guys in the film too, you know? And I also wish that Gene Hackman hadn't have stopped Mitch's wife until she was naked and said, no, no, don't do that. <laughs> uh, you know, the crazy thing about Gene Hackman is that I feel like he is like the Kevin Spacey's of the 80s, uh, the 70s and with, 80s. And well, the old. Without yeah, the, without the horrible, the without being a bad person. Yeah. Um, and the the reason I think this is because he always plays this really awesome uh, villain. And what's interesting about like uh, like his character in this kind of reminds me of his character in Baby uh, Kevin Spacey's character in Baby Driver is where they're horrible, they're despicable until the very end. They're like a little redeemable. Like in Baby Driver, he you know takes the bullet from uh Ansel Elgort uh from John Hamm and then in uh in this one Gene Hackman lets her go like tells her like warns her to like get the hell out of the hotel and um but the other draw like the other connection is that they both played Lex Luthor that's good is would you need to do this the whole time is you just want to say the the Lex Luthor connection is that what we were getting at because because uh well no but it's just because i always make the conclusion like i always draw similarities between them two because of the lex luther role well also you once again are back on spoiling a movie that has nothing to do with this one so i hope people have seen baby driver oh well i mean you should it's great um all right let's start at the beginning we have Tom Cruise going around and it's a montage of him getting all these um, offers until he settles on the Memphis one. He's also playing basketball with a judge and he's like this all American guy who's working his way through law school, which is not a thing you can do really anymore. Um, yeah. And then he gets the offer from Memphis, tells the wife, and then they go on a trip there. Um, and it, the, the movie is like, you know, introduced to this other couple and the movie just comes out and they're like, yep, all of them are white men and they're all married. And like, that's the way the law firm wants it. And we had a woman once and it didn't work out. (laughs) Yeah. They said it didn't work out. And then you find out it's like, cause they murdered her. Well, it's kind of crazy too. Cause he gets the offer and they do this mind game thing uh, where it's like, Hey, if you are the lawyer that we think you are, that's worth this much in the envelope. You won't need to open the envelope to accept our offer. When he goes back home, he has the envelope and he has his wife open it. Um, they live in like, like a small one bedroom apartment. Like he he literally went from rags to riches in a day, which is kind of crazy if you think about it that way. The, the device of like, if you're a lawyer worth your salt, you won't have to open it. I was like, what is the fucking like Yuri Geller? Like he's going to do a trick where he just sticks the envelope against his fucking head and is like mm, 96,000. Well, because and then it just leads to him just like asking questions to the guy. And so it's like, well, someone, how much would you have to put in there to secure? And they're like 20% more than any other offer. And it's like, so you just wanted him to like do a direct examination and ask you questions to figure out the amount like. Well, what's kind of funny is that maybe I didn't think of it initially when I was watching it, but they kind of make him do a song and dance for them, right? Yeah. And the whole movie is they're kind of making him do a song and dance. 
until he flips it on his head. So the movie very quickly establishes that these guys like control and they like playing puppeteer. Right. But Tom Cruise is smart enough to like not, you know, do it and do it well, but like get over them in the end. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, So we get to the trip to Memphis where they're going to just check out this firm. And um, I like the part where they get to the party the next day. And uh, the one woman is like, you know, uh, it's not forbidden for the women to work. And she's like, well, why would it be forbidden? And she's like, it's I said, it's not. And it's like, but yeah, but why did you need to say it? Well, what's crazy, too, is when she gets out of that conversation and they go to like talk in private, um, she she tells him, hey, I get a weird vibe from these folks. Like, I don't like this. Maybe we should back out like this is not good. And he gives her all these excuses, not just because of the money. but He's like, oh, we'll be close to your family. But the dynamic of her being independently wealthy, like her family is very wealthy and he comes from nothing. And now it's like he 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 uh, he's the breadwinner. I mean, I know he worked his way through law school, but she like like she helped him a lot, probably. Right. Like she probably carried him a majority of the way. So he's like, no, I'm I'm the breadwinner now. Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely that that he's like, I need to, you know, take the more like traditionally manly role of like providing for you because you've done this for me for so long. There's also this like unstated thing that we get later where it's like he wants to I guess he I don't know. Does he want to be near his brother? Or is that just like happenstance for the movie? I think you know? it's happenstance because he's ashamed. I love it how in the interview where they're like do you have any siblings and he says no but the way he says no i i wonder if you're like in that real life situation if someone responds to you that way you would be like okay you're hiding something but i feel like in the moment the way he did it is like if you're talking to him then you wouldn't have caught it but we the audience caught the subtle nuance of him lying um well, you must have caught it because you rewatched it because you don't catch it the first time because you don't know. I forgot. I mean, it's been like a year and a half since I've seen it. I completely forgot he had a brother. I caught it. I thought I was like, oh, why? Why is he saying that weird? Oh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't know David Strathairn was going to make an appearance. I didn't know David Strathairn had been acting so long because I had never <laughs> seen him in anything. since. <laughs> I just watched. It's so funny because I just watched. um the Born Legacy like twice last week because I fucking love that movie and he's in it and it's funny because that's the fourth one. Uh, it's Jeremy Renner, so Matt Damon is not even in the movie, but in the beginning it's right. connecting to it and David Strathairn's like has the scene where he's like, "Oh my god, it's Jason Bourne." And it's like that's like the most memeable moment from that series. It's, it's there's also I think there's the fifth one with the 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 black guy who says. Oh, fuck, it's Jason Bourne, too. Like, but those two. So I forget who it is. I think it's him. But the line is Jesus Christ. It's Jason Bourne. And the reason I remember that verbatim is because all the memes go. Jason Bourne, it's Jesus Christ. (laughs) But anyway, so just um, I don't know why I felt the need to connect that. I love the Bourne legacy and it's too bad we can't do it. Um. So they decide to move to Memphis and his first day, he's like getting in super early and they're like making fun of him. Um, 
there's this montage of every attorney bringing these huge fucking books and is like no attorney has ever failed the bar um so you know just one of the Don't big hints it. that the firm is evil is he gets there early, right? And he was like in the hallway and he sees the two partners standing in the doorway and then they like shut it in his face. Yeah, that's like immediately like something's up. Like why why do you need to do that? I you mean also definitely for the audience, that's what it's trying to get at. Realize that it was they shut the off the they like they're in the doorway of the office of the guy that dies, like yeah, one of them later. Yeah. 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 And then we get Hackman, which like. I think the first time I watched this was like, oh, fucking Gene Hackman's in this. Like, I did not know because it's all Tom Cruise's movie. <laughs> right. Um, And he's great in this. Like, so good. Hackman oh, is. Gene Hackman. I, I think he's a very underrated actor. I think when you think of great actors, you don't. He's not initially on the list. But, but I really like Gene, Gene Hackman. But then when you say Gene Hackman, everyone's like, oh, I love Gene Hackman. But he's not like a like, he doesn't come to your head right away. Like he's the, that that guy. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, everyone thinks he's great, but they don't maybe like necessarily. Oh, exactly. Like exactly. Say who's your top five. You might not make that. And, um, and what, one of the things that I want to talk about is when. They eavesdrop on. Well, I'll, OK, maybe you could clarify for me. At this point, do they eavesdrop on on Tom and his wife a conversation about her reluctantness of going to Memphis? Or is this because she divulged that she was reluctant to one of the other wives? Because this leads me to one of my, you know, I took a actually took a lot of notes during this film. This took me to my first point is that did the lawyers pay that her students off? No, because because uh, they're they have a conversation and they're like, well, his wife is reluctant and they go, well, there are things we can do about that immediate cut to the kids making this like goodbye arts and craft for her. And it just implied that the lawyers somehow got to the elementary school children and like made them do this. I don't think that's what the movie was implying at all, but maybe <laughs> they paid off these uh, inner city Boston kids. And we're like, here's here's what we're going to do for you. <laughs> I mean, you know what? Because of the rest of the movie, that doesn't surprise me. But it really just feels like just the way they cut it. It really felt like felt like that. Um, but yeah, for some it, reason, the kids saying goodbye to her convinces her like it's OK to move on. Well, no, I mean, at that point, she was already moving on and she was reluctant the whole time. But she was once again, at the end of the movie, she says, like, you know, I loved you, even if it was just like the dream of even if it was the promise of you. And, you know, and why would I leave? You've kept your promise or whatever. So it's like she had hitched herself to him. And so if he's sure, you know, she was sure she's definitely taking a very, like, passive role in this movie, which is very 1990s, too. Um so Hackman is his mentor. I love the lunch where he's like, it's a rule. You can't drink it on company lunches. And then he orders like the martini like right away and then orders another one. He's like, I'm allowed a little indulgences. Um, and then the stuff about like, you know, I, I did this deal. I need you to look at it. Um, and he's like, well, how how far do you want me to go? And he's like, you, you don't want me to break the law. He's like, no, but bend it as far as you can without breaking it. 
um, right. which is also like an in-your-face sign of like what's going on here. Of course, of course. Well, it, it's kind of crazy too because this is a very long movie, especially for the nineties. Yeah, um, it's like two hours and fifteen minutes, almost just about a little more. But um, there's some fat. There's some fat that could be cut. <laughs> I. It, it's mostly for me. Is the back and forth to where do they go? The tropical island. Caymans. Caymans. Is it the Caymans? It's the back and forth to the Caymans that uh, when I was watching this the first time, I was like, you know, they go to the Caymans, they go back, they go back to the Caymans towards the end of the movie. Um, when I was watching this the second time I, and they're in the Caymans the first time, I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Like this whole thing doesn't happen until the end. But no, they're like him, like getting the keys, opening the the door and seeing the file boxes. I thought that happened in the end, um, but it happens in the in the beginning with him. And then the person who does it in the end is his wife. They just like it feels like the so the movie's based off of a John Grisham book, and it just feels like the movie is like we have to get all the details in there. I appreciate it. I mean, I liked it, right? Like, I like the movie. I think the movie plays well. It's just, it's extremely long. Well, and what it does is it, it kind of shows you everything without telling you what's happened. Like, it's, it's fairly obvious what his plan is. So it's, it's obvious overall, but like the, the kind of the nitty gritty details of what he's actually trying to do by you know meeting the chicago family is not like spelled out for you so it's just it does a good job of letting it play out letting you follow it like that part's great um so i want to get back to it because there's another as you said it's two and a half hour movie so we got to keep it moving but he goes to uh his friend's house at the firm and the wife is hysterical and then he goes outside and he's like you know two guys died and the guy's like this guy has to know they were murdered, but he's still distraught. One, because I think he right. was friends with them. He, and he even says like he had twins that were like the same age as my, you know, as my son. But he's also like, this shit could happen to me. Yeah, I um, think that's mainly the reason. But the other thing is, as this is happening, he's like, oh, yeah. Um, Oliver wanted me to tell you that uh, you shouldn't have to worry about your student loans. So we're going to pay for that. As he's just thinking about his friends who are dead, he's like, oh, yeah, this money thing, because that's like what runs everything. Yeah. And I love the detail of like him getting hit by the sprinkler, the rotating sprinkler, but doesn't react to it. Like he's such in distraught and shock and, and grief that it's it's just like external feelings don't even matter at this point. It's just, it's like, it's, it's very like, it sets up the tragedy of what it is very well. Um, do you think in the, in the book and the novel that this is based on, you said it's very long and they felt like to get all the details, right? Um, did you notice that his dog's name is hearsay? I did not. Cause, uh, remember his wife, um, leaves a note on the dog's collar. Oh, okay. Yeah, I did not notice that was his dog. So he calls the dog over and goes, "Here, here, hearsay." I didn't. I did not pick up on that. That's funny. Um, 
the next scenes with the FBI agents that are talking to him and they're like, I, what I love about this is that he's like, Oh, so you work for Bendini and he's like, Tom Cruise kind of freaks out and he's like, how would you, how would you know that? And he's like, Oh, you know, points to his books. Like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, sorry. I've just been working there for like, and they're like eight weeks. He's like, Wait, what the fuck? <laughs> and, and you know what would be funny? Like a spoof of this movie. He like looks over. Okay. There's the, there's the title of the thing. He's like eight weeks. He's like, what? And then it's like, there's another book that's like um, something like what to do when you're starting in a law, law firm and you're to state weeks or something like that. Just really on the nose. <laughs> well, I think is funny about this is the, the movie for the first like 45 minutes, the passage of time is so it's just like, it seems like it's the next day and then it's, it's eight weeks later. Like he's been there eight weeks and it's like, how is that, you know, Besides that, him the the uh, FBI agent saying it like, how are we to know that he's been there that long? Like, it doesn't make sense. What's kind of interesting is like we're introduced to Gene Hackman. He's like, I'm your mentor. Study for the bar, and then he's like, Oh, I got to take the bar. He's like, No, come to the Caymans with me first. Then everything that happens in the Caymans happens, and then when you realize, or when Tom Cruise realizes that his house is bugged and he tells his wife his house is bugged and then he passes the bar because they have that celebration, right? Yeah. And it's like the passage of time happens quickly at some points, but then I feel like a day goes by or like a week goes by. Like like eight weeks will go by in the same amount of time one week will go by in this movie. And it's confusing. Yeah. It absolutely is. And that's like, I don't know that it matters, but it does throw you off when you're watching it. Um, so, yeah, he goes to the Cayman and he's like immediately sort of like interested in this. You know, he has this natural curiosity about these guys that died. I think at one point either like, oh, when he, this is the other thing is I think it's when he gets back from the Caymans. Maybe he's in like the library area and um He's looking at the pictures of these guys that died. And I'm like, how do they fucking have these pictures up already? And yeah. it's because like a, a bunch of time has passed. Like they commission these paintings like so quickly. It, it'd be funny if they like commissioned them before the guys died. They're like, all right, hey, we're going to kill these guys. We're going to get the paintings ready. <laughs> um, but also someone mentioned, I think he got tipped off right by the FBI that something weird is happening. That's why he becomes interested in the first place. So when he goes to the Caymans and he sees the. He, here's kind of an interesting thing. He goes to the Caymans. He sees the file boxes in Gene Hackman's bungalow, right? And then, so he makes that connection. And then he decides to go and talk to the boat captain or like the manager of the fishing uh, convoy, you know, whatever. Um, uh-huh. Because he he had a son that lost his life during that thing, right? But that's when you find out that there were two other men on that boat and they matched the descriptions of, you know, two other suspicious characters. So it's like all these clues are adding up that he's just not, you know, it's something's not right with it. What's funny is the boat captain's like, yeah, there was one stocky guy and then there was one guy with like really, really blonde hair. And I was like, you got to make his features definitive so that when we see him later, we're like, that's the guy. It's um, like someone's like, holy shit, that's 
Hank Schrader from Breaking Bad and Jigsaw from Saw. (laughs) (laughs) They looked exactly like. um, So next to, you know, we're at night and this woman's trying to seduce him. And he says no, but then he sees a woman getting attacked. And just by Tom Cruise staring at the guy, the guy runs off. And so like they almost played into his like his desire to help people, I guess, like the, they, the fact that he's putting this did. In, yeah. Yeah. So he wouldn't just cheat on his wife. But when you set him up to be like the hero, he's like, all right, yeah, I'll sleep with this hot woman on the beach. And what he says about to the to the woman, to the first woman that he rejected, he's like, tell my friend thanks, but no thanks. Like he knew she was a prostitute, right? Um, but yeah, and then, but how quick, like it's almost like they knew that he was going to reject her and they had this whole beach set up, like already planned out. Like, okay. Uh, so we're going to hire the prostitute, but he's going to reject the prostitute. But you guys on the beach, be ready. Um, make it look good because he's going to he's going to take a walk on the beach immediately after to, I don't know, clear his head or some shit. And then uh, you just immediately run away and you pretend you sprained your ankle. OK, and go then grab his head hand put it on your boob yeah well I, th- I think it was just a redundancy right like if he had slept with the first prostitute then the other two people would have gotten the night off so <laughs> that woman would have been attacked david <laughs> so he after this he goes flies back home and instead of going to see his wife he goes to see his brother and this is the first time we get to know about his brother and he's like there's this line from his wife at the end where she's like you know avery was a very decent guy, but he was corrupt and this and that. And she's like, I saw you would have turned into that. And I was like, not really. I mean, that's not what this movie is telling us because at this first sign of corruption, he starts investigating everything and then sort of like throws his life away to like stop it. You know what I mean? I guess he's, he was put in the situation by the FBI of like not having a choice because the FBI came to him. And I mean, they would have cracked this eventually, however they needed to. Um, so, you know, what's kind of crazy is that he's a lawyer. He's a really good loyal lawyer, I guess. He's a really smart person is what you come to figure out, not just because of all the Harvard shit, right? But like the way he uses like the firm, the FBI and everyone around him to his advantage. And like he's thinking like, 900 moves ahead of everyone else right uh we are going to be reviewing um the fugitive uh pretty soon and one thing that i thought of the same thing in in that film is that he's a doctor right but um harrison ford is a is a surgeon but he's also incredibly intelligent and he's also thinking 900 moves ahead so there's something about like 90s films that are just like okay he's a lawyer and he's a doctor but they're also like super geniuses right just to make it like convincing like oh he like won out on top of all these other people because he's abnormally intelligent well and that's why tom cruise chose the role (laughs) i get to run i get to be the smartest guy in the room and i get to win in the end like, mm-hmm. that's how you know. That's mm-hmm. how you know how this movie's going to end. 
So he gets back, goes to his brother, and he tells his brother everything. And it's like, I'm, you know, I'm in trouble. The line about how, like, how it's funny that I went to Harvard and you went to jail and we we're both surrounded by crooks. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, one thing real quick. The woman on the beach, um, Halle Berry, auditioned for that role and did not get it. Oh, wow. Wow. Interesting. Yeah, surprising. Um, and then he, his brother knows a private investigator who happens to be Gary Busey. And uh, Gary Busey's fucking great. Yeah, Gary... <laughs> There's absolutely nothing wrong with Gary Busey's character in this film. Except for the fact that he slept with a 17-year-old. No, no, no. He's horrible. But, like, I don't know. There's something about Gary Busey playing... Like, last last movie we watched him in was uh, Point Break, right? Yeah. This character is so different from that character. Um. And it's kind of a shame that we don't get to see him more in the movie, but he is killed. Right away. By uh, by Jigsaw. And that's another thing. This movie yeah. sort of just glosses over the fact that they were uh, he's like, oh, you were asking questions about dead lawyers. And they like the firm found out immediately. Like, we don't know who they were watching that they were able to like, you know, who whose phone they were tapping that they were able to figure that out right away. Also, this firm just has like the best phone tapping capabilities. I guess they get that from like mafia connections, but yeah, I, I mean, crazy too. <sighs> okay. I don't know. I've never killed anyone. I don't know if you have not that you're going to divulge it here on the pod, but uh, the secretary is underneath Gary Busey's desk. Cause she's about to give him a, a blowy and uh, they come in and they shoot him and he dies. And somehow she keeps quiet the entire time and waits for them to leave and then makes her escape. Now, when you kill someone, you don't like go over to the body and like make sure he's dead or nothing. You just like shoot, shoot. Let's get out of here. It's because the um, I think Jigsaw had a silencer and the other guy did not. Oh, that's right. Because he got shot in the leg. Right. Yeah. The gun so they made off. a bunch of yeah they made a bunch of noise they had to get the fuck out of there so and I mean Gary Busey was for sure dead. Can we also talk about how the secretary about to give Gary Busey a blowy is Holly Hunter and very hot in this movie and also perfectly named Tammy. It's like a great name for that character. I I always I'm like when I see her I'm like who is she because I've been watching Succession and she's in Succession and I can never I'm like. And obviously Succession is like a show that comes out now. And this is like 30 years ago. So she looks a lot different. And so I was like, who is she? And then she fucking spoke. And I was like, it's Elastigirl. Yeah, she's perfect in this. It's funny, like. There's not I mean, so there's not a person that is miscast, like everyone is great. If you would have told me Wilford Brimley would have been. Like the security guy, the main heavy of this, I would have been like, hmm, I don't I don't know, but he's perfect. Right. And like everyone else is is perfect in this. Um, So, yeah, it's just it's it's really great. So we are now at the part where his wife was looking for him. Um, Then he's like, you know, she's kind of upset and she's like, oh, you know, he gets home and he's like, I went to see Ray. And she's like, oh. You would see Ray and you didn't, you know, so we find out like you would think like, oh, she doesn't like Ray, but she like really likes Ray. Yeah. 
Well, she doesn't know Ray. She just she just knows that he's no, family. She, she knows she knows Ray because she's like she's like, oh, why would you go without me? I would have gone. Like, she likes Ray. Okay, maybe maybe I misunderstood this. I understood that he has never went to see Ray since he's been with her, and. <laughs> She knows the situation where it was manslaughter, but it was like a bullshit. Um, it, it, it's bullshit on the on the amount of time he he spent in in prison, right? And so she probably gets the fact that he's a good person, but I don't think she's ever met him. But she's wanted to, and she's wanted him. More importantly, she's wanted him to reconnect with his brother. And that's what she's like really happy about. But I don't think she ever met him. I also want to make the point that this is like a plot device in a lot of movies. Just because you know how to fight doesn't remove your ability for self-defense. So the like the this this is like in this movie and then in Con Air, although Con Air at least explains it partially by oh, like Oh right, because he was the a guy, boxer. The guy, the guy picks up the knife and walks away with it. So like Nick Cage didn't, you know, the guy did had a knife, but Nick Cage after he kills the guy by punching him, the knife disappears. So you it's like, ruin Con Air for people too. Hmm? That's the fucking beginning of Con Air. I know how to talk about movies. <laughs> so, but it's just a plot point that always like is funny to me is that like, oh, his hands are red. It's like fucking. I talked about Garrett with this, and he just sent me the picture of um, a fucking Brad Pitt from uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when uh, the Bruce Lee character is like my hands are registered weapons. If I fight you, I go to jail. If I fight you and you die, I go to jail. And Brad Pitt's like, if anyone kills anyone in a fight, they go to jail. It's called manslaughter. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. 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 Okay. Well, thanks for clarifying that. <laughs> so we are now, um, the, the hitman killed the guy. He lives. And then now, Oh, now we're in DC and there's this little part where, um, they decide to send Tom Cruise to DC because we didn't talk about it, but Tom Cruise is in a meeting in the Caymans and he like really impresses this kind of like um, Italian. I don't know. He's not a mobster, but he's mobster related. He's receiving money from the mobsters. And like the guy also kind of reveals like, Oh, the people from Chicago, we think I'm scared of them, whatever. But um, Tom Cruise is impresses in that. And so then they want to send him to this like training in DC, this tax training or whatever. And the FBI like, leaves a note for him in his book. And then they tell him to walk down this way. And then a homeless guy who he gives a quarter to tells him to go to a bench. And it's like, he still ends up sitting on a bench with a DOJ attorney. <laughs> like yeah. if they're watching him, it's like, does it, <laughs> they still see it. Yeah. I, I, I always thought that was dumb, but I was like, whatever. They're just trying to make it as, as much as a Grisham novel as possible at this point. Right. The other yeah. thing too, is that, um, when Cruz is like doing his rounds and he visits this guy named um, Maholland. Okay. And Maholland is like, hey, your people really have to stop overcharging me. Oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. And do, do you find that incredibly convenient that it's like everything that he needs to win is said by this one character that we just meet. 
Yeah, I mean, they set it up several times where, like, hey, he's calling, you need to meet with him, and then he's like, oh, he, you need to meet with him, and then he, like, finally does, right? Because um, he's supposed to do, he's supposed to go, like, business as normal until they can figure this out. You could have had him figure it out in another way, right? Like, you could have just had a file on his desk where he's like, why does this say 30 hours? I didn't fucking charge 30 hours. I only charged this amount. Um, well, like, the, 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 what is it? Every positive... Yeah, like like there's some sort of like negative encounter into a positive like, okay, so what I'm getting at is that I didn't like this scene because I found it very helpful to the main character, very just ex machina uh, to the main character for like helping him in this situation. But then later on in the movie, when he's like trying to buy time and he, he walks around the museum, just so happens to run into um, the wife of the of the firm guy and who tells them that what? oh i just saw uh mitch at the museum on on mud island or whatever and uh so that's like yeah, a well, negative convenience yeah welcome to the early 90s of screenwriting so uh, <laughs> in, in books but do you think that's I, uh, okay like in the beginning if it's like a, a positive convenience and it's like counteracted by a negative one later on kind of equals no, out? i think i think I think it doubles up and makes it worse. Honestly. They both suck. Got it. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, it doesn't like, it's what you expect in movies like this. I think now screenwriters are kind of like, you'll get dinged for that a lot more. I mean, this is not a highly rated movie, um, but it's like, I think a beloved movie by a lot of people. Yeah. So I can see that. It's, it could have been written better in both instances. Um, because like, you could have just had Mitch come back and say, I mean, even even worse is right. He gets off of Mud Island and the guy is chasing him and he gets away, but he just happens to run by Wilford Brimley. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's just like completely fucking bad luck. But it's like, you know, it's it's kind of lazy writing. Um, sorry, John Grisham. Uh, let's get back to where we're actually at. So like they're basically telling him the deal and then he's talking to um, the FBI agent, Ed Harris. Ed Harris looks completely different than this, than everything yeah, I've ever seen because of the shaved head. Um, he looks like a, f he's always like a little can play menacing, but he looks really fucking menacing in this, but he's, I love the one line um, where he's like, yeah, you just wants me to testify against the mafia. Are you out of your fucking mind? <laughs> oh my God. I think one of my favorite scenes in this movie is at the dog race, that whole thing. It starts out where you have the fake bone, right? the bell is rung the greyhounds are let go and it pans up to the audience uh, to the yeah to the audience and tom cruise is there ed harris is there and they go what happens if the dogs ever get the bone it's like oh it's a whole fucking mess like that opening thing is great and then the fact that he's wiretapped and has ed harris say um like Oh, I'm the goddamn FBI. I can do whatever the fuck I want. And then has Tammy call him and repeat like that whole thing is amazing. No, absolutely. And um, it's really. It's, it's really funny when he gives it to him at the end. He's like, I could go public with that. He's like, why wouldn't you? He's like, because it's illegal. Da -da -da. Uh, <laughs> I I also like in that scene uh, where he's like, yeah, you can do whatever you want because you're Mr. Agent, you know, whatever his name is, you know, 
John Mahalahan. Right. He's like, you goddamn right. I'm agent John Mahalahan. And and that was the damning evidence, like him reciting oh, his yeah, name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, he goes home and tells his wife that uh, about everything. Um, well, first he tells the firm, which is like an interesting move. I don't know. I thought it was a smart move, but then the movie never really plays with that again. And almost that almost kind of worked to his detriment, right? Like you thought it was like a, I don't know. Mm. Because I don't like, know. He's on he's on Brimley's radar for the rest of the movie because of that. Brimley like does not trust him. It would be interesting to see if like he. This is what it must have been. He thought on the off chance that they tailed him, and he was caught talking to the FBI. If he didn't outrightly he admit them. it, then it would look bad on him. But the fact that. I mean, he's right. But the fact that they didn't, I mean, how was he supposed to know that? You know? Well, and they might have the movie just never addresses. The movie doesn't say that they did, but he tells them. I like at the end of when he tells them, uh, Gene Hackman's just like, so who do we bill for this hour? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to lighten the mood, but everyone else is like, oh, fuck. Right. But what's, that's, what, that's... why didn't they just tell him? Like, if all the other lawyers in the firm know, why don't they just at that point be like, all right, listen. You want to be a part of this thing. This is what's up. Uh, you either you're cool with it or we just fucking kill you. Well, because at that point, they don't know if they can trust him. And now that he's been talked to by the FBI, it's like we really now need to see immediately if they trust him. Right. And um, so he goes home and tells his wife and she runs outside and she's like, they can't ask you to do that. And he's like, they aren't asking. Like, I, I've thought oh, this she, all she runs outside. There's, no, she yeah runs outside there's no difference between the word you used and the word i used right she there. fucking books it and then this is that's where we that's a different word yeah yeah and then this is where we get tom cruise booking it in like you know his 90th movie that he's booked it in well this is one of the beginning ones you know um so then we get uh Busey's secretary shows up and she tells him about uh, the guys and she describes them and Cruz immediately is like, oh, that's the fucking guy from the boat. Um, and so this side of he's like, oh, we'll have to he like kind of subtly says like, oh, well, we'll have to find some office space or something like that. And then he sets her up to start copying files. Right. But right after this, Brimley gets him and then the hitman is right there. And I think Cruz recognizes him and they take him to the middle of nowhere to show him the photos of him sleeping with the woman. <laughs> Just yeah. like to really, I love, I love the way Bradley's like not just screwing, intimate oral acts, <laughs> really getting up in there. Yeah, I, I love the way like the, the the dialogue in that too. The way he plays it off, he's like, God, and you don't you don't want these to get out. Like if the FBI knew, like, and they sent that to your mailbox and your poor old wife opens the mailbox and finds that. And it's just a, a really great way of like telling him that we're going to fucking blackmail you without telling him they're going to blackmail. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty right in his face about it. Um, and then he goes back and he's like, Oh, I need to, the guy's like, Hey, we need a conference room conference room right now. And he's like, Oh, well, let me just drop off my coat. He's like, no, right now it's so important that you come in here with those photos and then everyone's in there and he's like, well, you didn't 
you didn't pass the bar number one, but you passed number two. And then his wife's there and he like happens to drop the photos. And he does something that is like so smart after this, but he doesn't do it because it's the right thing to do. Like the smart thing to do. He tells her he cheated because he feels guilty, but it is the smart thing to do because like you don't have a choice, but to screw over your firm. So you might as well tell your wife right away because she's (laughs) going to find out. Right. Um, What's worse though? What's worse? You tell her, okay, just follow, follow this, follow my thought here. You tell her, you still fuck over the firm. The firm still blackmails you, still sends the photos. Then she sees the photos. So she knows, and then she sees the photos. So it's like a double whammy. Or she finds out when she sees the photos. So it's like a one big whammy. No, you want to tell her now because she also sort of like kind of has to stay with you, even though she makes the decision not to. Um, and he's, you know, they're like go through this whole thing where she's like, I can't stay with you. And he's like, well, you have to we have to come up with a good lie. And she's like, all right, let's go in there and perform, which they don't buy. Um, it's also funny. They at the same time find out about his brother and the scene before where Gene Hackman makes the joke about like, oh, who do we build this to? He's like kind of like, ah, it's not a big deal. And then they find out about the brother and Gene Hackman's like. Of course he fucking lied to you about it. If I had a felon brother and I'm trying to get a nice law firm job, I'm not going to tell you about it. Like, it's not a thing to worry about. You know, it's not suspicious. And Wilford Brimley's like, I'm paid for things like that to be suspicious. And so Wilford Wilford's on the case. But it's like we're getting these signs that Hackman is not the bad guy that we, you know, he's not the worst guy here. So it's like when he does turn in the end and do the right thing, it's like I expected it. So it's not out of nowhere. It's like some of the better writing in the movie to me. No, um, I, I, and then, I agree. I agree. It is. It, it's good. And and. Uh, yeah, they use it against him, right? Because they know a prison guard in the prison and the prison guard. Told them that the FBI let him go early, right? Like that was the whole connection there. Well, they do, but it it's a fax that falls underneath. I, I want to talk about the timing of that later when we get to what we're. We're going to move through this, I guess, a little bit quicker now because we've been going for a while. But um, so he has the meeting with the client. And this is when he makes the plan of like, this is how I can not violate uh, attorney client confidentiality. And like, so I'll get to keep my law license and I won't have to go into witness protection. Like he comes up with this whole plan. And we only know as the audience, we only know part of it. We don't know the end goal of like, I'm basically going to have this information over the mafia that I, if they try and kill me, it'll get released. And so like, you need to leave me alive. Just leave me the fuck alone and I'll leave you alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so which he's he right. comes up. It's the best way to diffuse the whole situation because it's over the firm's head. The mafia controls the firm. And then um, all that shit we'll talk about later with the FBI and Ed Harris. Yeah. And so he comes up with this plan. He sets he sets Tammy up. And then this is he has the scene with uh, with the FBI agent where he's like, I want one point five million of my brother. And, you know, he's like, you're you know, your brother killed the guy. And he was like, it was manslaughter. And like, you know, he's not that bad of a guy. And. Um, and then this is your favorite line right after this. I think I found a way out if we follow the law. And then she's like, but um. She's like, but that doesn't change the fact that you cheated on me and I'm I'm out. Yeah. 
So this next part with her motivation, it's a little weird, right? So she knows pretty much nothing of his plan. And she goes to school. It's like her last day, right? She put in her resignation to go back to Boston. And um, Avery shows up. And, and what I like about this movie is that it's very subtle in the way it does certain things, right? It doesn't hit you over the head like movies nowadays, I feel like, treats the audience pretty dumb. But Avery has been showing interest in Tom Cruise's wife for like the whole film, subtly. Uh huh. And he. Not very subtle, actually. <laughs> well, not now, because he goes to her workplace and invites her to the Caymans, knowing. Knowing, right? Because they have they knowing that their marriage is on the rocks. Yep. Um, so he's like a bad. He's kind of a bad guy, and he's like, you know, this isn't working out for you anyway. So let me get a little taste. And and he couldn't really think that she was going to accept his offer to the Caymans, which she doesn't initially. And he's like, yeah, I figured, you know, okay, whatever. Now I don't know if you noticed this or found this funny. But when that conversation is done, she's like, no, I don't want to go to the Caymans with you. And he's like, OK, she turns and then books it away from him, like runs away from him. Well, the reason is because Tom Cruise had told her the plan about how to get those files, the fact that he's going to go diving. So it'll give them a chance. Right. Well, he says, oh, it's a short trip. I can't dive. So she runs to go warn Tom. I know why Tammy's she, like, like, I know why she's in a hurry, but the fact that she. She immediately is like, all right, I'll see you later, Avery. <laughs> like right in his eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's a little weird. I agree. I agree. But she was like, you know, really uh, concerned about helping out Tomcat. So she kind of needed to. And she calls Tammy and Tammy's like, I have no way of contacting him. Um, mm, so that brings she me just to shows thing. up. She just shows up in the Caymans, though. How does Abby know Tammy? They've never met. And doesn't Tom want to keep her away from like this whole thing that I looked through this film? There is no way that she knows Tammy. They've never met. They've never talked to each other. But somehow conveniently, it's like, yeah, Tammy, I'm going with Avery to the Caymans. And they devise this whole plan, although they've never talked and never met. I think, well, so I don't remember offhand because like I just accepted it. But I mean, he tells her the entire plan. So like, I think he just has mentioned Tammy and maybe it's something that happened off screen or whatever. But I mean, it's like it's not inconceivable to me that they know each other. Right. He he hasn't. He actually hasn't been keeping it away from her. He's been telling her everything, but just not like the very dangerous parts. But he he hasn't really kept it from her. I. In, okay, I mean, I guess I, it's just something you have to buy if it's not like spelled out in the film. But I, I just didn't see a, a way that they could have known about each other or even had each other's contacts. But you're right. So she ends up going to just going to the Caymans. I guess flights are super easy to get back in the 90s. Well, I mean, they're they're kind of rich, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. They're fucking. Yeah, that's true. Um, and while all this is happening, I love the stuff with Ray where they like get him out of jail. They hone in on the security guard looking and you're like, oh, so that's the that's the bad security guard yeah. who's like that's the guy. Um, 
And then they just let him walk. I assumed they were just going to keep a hold of him, but they like, nah, walk, get the fuck out of here. Um, but they try and then track him, which makes no sense, right? Like, just keep a hold of him. Why? But they try and track him. And then the whole thing with the Elvis and going in the bathroom, like, I loved all that. And then, like, yeah. you see him in the truck just eating a snack. Um, you, and, like, they call and he's like, we lost Ray. And he's like, you lost Ray. What are you following him? He's like, you motherfucker. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and then you know Ray is also part of Mitch's plan for the for the Caymans every because doesn't isn't just conveniently Ray's a pilot. Doesn't he doesn't he pilot the airboat and that the airboat the uh, water plane? No, it's some guy flies it. There was the guy that brought the guy that brought. Abby back to the mainland from the Caymans took Ray. He was like this long haired. Oh, dude. so it was Ray. Okay. So Ray's only thing was to get out. Ray wasn't part of like bringing the files, right? He was then at the end in charge of the files. Tammy okay, gives him okay. and he, he like starts hitting on Tammy. He's like, Oh, you got a pretty mouth or something like that. Or I like yeah, the way you it's, talk. Uh, I love your crooked little mouth. <laughs> She's like, that's not even the best part of me. <laughs> I was Which like, I assume was she was talking about her vagina. So, oh, I thought it was boobs, boobs, or butt. Um, my, you know how you told me, how you just assume my favorite line was when Tom Cruise is like, "We just follow the law, right?" Wrong. It comes from Ed Harris when they lost Ray, and Harris is in the thing, and he goes, "Get me a map of Louisiana." And then everyone just kind of stands around and goes, get me out of Louisiana. <laughs> yeah, that's also good. Which you can also imagine Tommy Lee Jones saying in like a fugitive movie. <laughs> I need a perimeter and I need a map of Louisiana. And I don't um, care. So at the same time, uh, Gene Hackman is taking Abby back to his place, starts stumbling. You know, he's like, why are you here? You're not being truthful. He can tell he's been drugged. So he's like trying to get the truth out of her. And she's like, I'm here to punish him for cheating on me. And she like her punishment is she kisses him. That's it. That's like all she gets. And then they start scanning files. The timing of this end is of the movie is so fucking convenient. So like they start scanning the files and then Brimley hears the phone call, which is like, why did you not fucking pull out the phone? Pull the phone out of the fucking wall. Right. And why are you calling? She's like, oh, I drugged him. And she's like, just get the keys. Like, they've been tapping everything. Of course they've tapped this. <laughs> the the thing, too. Oh, another shitty, convenient writing thing in this film is the fax rolling under the fax machine. Yeah. Holy so, shit. Well, this is what I want to say is it rolls under. And then Brimley finds it the next day. And as soon as he finds it, he's like, they got Ray. And five seconds later, the FBI gets a call from the jail like, hey, so uh, we uh, we started questioning this prison guard because he sent a fax. It's like, so it was gone long enough to then let the FBI get like, it's just so convenient. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, too convenient, some some might say. But yeah, you're right. So um, yeah, Avery is is kind of turns a new leaf and lets her lets her go he gets killed in the process right because i think it's obvious that he let her go we 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 find out we find out he he dies because he they drowned in his bathtub but what i think is interesting is like no wait she walks it you know you know they killed him right they drowned him in the bathtub 
He didn't just drown on his own accord. You're so fucking frustrating sometimes. Like, of course I know that. Okay. Do you think what? He just like, he got up and was like, oh man, I'm so groggy. I need a bath, but I'm just going to go face first into it. Of course they killed him. You just made, I said they killed him and you were like, oh, but he actually drowned. I was like, you're the one who's frustrating. He did drown in the bathtub. By murder. He murder drowned. Oh my God. Um, what I want to say is, so Abby comes in, here's this phone call and she's like, oh, my plan is to sneak the keys. And I guess they think that secrecy is really important. I guess at the time it makes sense that they're trying to do this without the firm discovering so that they can get away. But she's like, I got to sneak the keys back in here. Just stick them on the fucking counter, like next to something and get the fuck out of there. But she like, she gets in her robe gets into bed, he's there, and then she starts to whip him out, and he's like, no, 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 no. It's like, I'm on to everything, all right? Like, no need for this. Look. She was gonna fuck Gene Hackman right there. No, And that's why, that's why he is a good guy, because he was like, I could get this right now, but he's like, no, you need to, they're gonna be here in 10 minutes, you need to get the fuck out of here. I don't think he's as good of a guy as you think he is. The reason he stopped her is because he doesn't want them fucking walking in in the middle of them having sex. Like, he, he knows they're like, I imagine on he the trip. He could have oh, finished. finished. He yeah. could have finished. In t- he had 10 minutes. Mm. 10 minutes is plenty. Plenty now, of time for him to get it done. It sounds like we're coming to the end of the movie, but there is so much left. Uh, because all the while that this is all there's happening, five chase scenes left in this movie. <laughs> OK, so all the while that this is happening with uh, Abby and Avery and the bungalow and no boobs happened. Uh, Tom Cruise is running for his life. Uh, we already briefly talked about it, how he's trying to get away from um, Jigsaw and, and Hank Schrader. And so. There's this whole other plot inconvenience, as you've been calling them, where they have all these invoices, but they just don't have fucking numbers on them. Like they don't. So he has to go into the office to print out these things. I don't even still understand the logistics of that. Like these documents in the Caymans are clearly not important if they don't have the numbers on them. They, they don't mean anything if he has to then go back. So it's like this whole thing has been for naught. But he has to go into the office, which is just to set him up because Brimley finds the facts at the same time. So it's just to set up the end of the movie with him running. Yeah. And he he comes out and the fucking main guy is like, hey, we need you to come in this conference room. And then Brimley walks up, but he gets this call from a judge and it happens to be Ed Harris. And he's like, you need to run if you can. Can you get out of there? And he's like, I understand. And he looks at Brimley and Brimley's like, come on. And he starts running. And the main lawyer and Brimley look at each other like he's so fucking pathetic. They're like, he's not going to get out of here. And then he gets out of there immediately. (laughs) Okay, wait. So where's the convenient part? The convenience part is the the plot inconvenience part is that they have these documents in the Caymans that are supposed to be important that are hidden behind a locked door, but they're worthless without the like the numbers. So it's a in order to get the numbers, he has to go into the office, which then puts him in harm's way. Like that's the part. It just also, do you also find it convenient that there was just a cotton truck there for him to jump into? Obviously Obviously. you're wrong. It's not. It's actually one of the smartest written things in this whole fucking movie. 
Go on. That cotton truck was planned from the get-go. Don't ask me how he knew he would be trapped in the firm and needing it as a way out. But he, at the very beginning of all of this, tells uh, Tammy to go and and do something with that cotton factory over there. He's like, hey, I, I need you to do me a favor. Are you up for doing me a favor? She goes, sure. And he goes, you see that cotton mill over there? She goes, yeah. And then the scene cuts. Just for the payoff that he, she probably paid someone to like park the cotton truck right there because he knew that in the case of he needing to get out, he throws the chair and he jumps out. And I almost shit my pants because I was like, why couldn't they write the rest of the movie that way? That <laughs> uh, still seems highly, highly convenient, but it's it's good. I, I mean, I like it, but it's, it's it is very very convenient but he gets out he's getting chased around he calls the fbi and the fbi is like uh so he this whole time has been planning to fly to chicago to talk to right the mafia right but he then finds out that the mafia is coming to memphis so he's like i gotta buy a few hours and the fbi is like just fucking come in he's like nah not doing that so he goes to mud island for some reason which is i guess a real place it's like a tourist trap right in the middle of memphis i mean they have to have something I mean, they got Graceland. So he goes on yeah, this but tour. Imagine how different it would be if Jigsaw and Hank Schrader trying to chase Tom Cruise around Graceland. He like hides in a bathroom and he looks over and it's like, oh, this is where oh, he shit. died. Oh, shit. I gotta oh, get fuck. out of here. <laughs> um, so he goes to Mud Island. He gets seen by the one woman who we've met. She is taking her kids on a field trip and he gets seen there. Is this a Saturday? Is this a Saturday or is she a chaperone for a school trip? Um, so she sees him and then he just is sitting over on Mud Island for a while. And then he makes a call and finds out that Abby went down and helped him by probably sleeping with Gene Hackman, he has to assume. So then he decides to leave Mud Island and he's the entire ride over just thinking about Gene Hackman plowing his wife. And then he gets out and Hank is there and Jigsaw is there. And there's cops there. And I thought, oh, he's just going to walk over by the cops and be like, oh, they can't get to me. But instead, he he, he kicks Hank in his messed up knee because he can see him limping and then runs. And then he gets away, but he ran by Wilford Brimley. So then we get to the scene where he's in the rafters. He's in the rafters uh, in like a warehouse. And I love how he's trying all the doors and then Jigsaw is like behind him and he's trying all the doors. But they're okay. Let me ask you something. If you're trying multiple doors and one of them opens, wouldn't you immediately lock it behind you so that when the other guy is trying all the doors, he skips that one? And then if you're the other guy chasing someone down and all these doors are locked, wouldn't you just assume that he's on the other side of one of these and he just locked it? Well, what I don't understand is he ran into this building to get away, and then he's immediately trying to break out of the building through the tiniest of windows? Or or was his plan to break the window and then get in the rafters and get the jump on these guys? Like, I don't, I don't understand what he's doing. So my, my thought process is he initially wanted to escape through the window, but then realized that he 
either can't fit or is not going to have the time to do so. So he's like, if I can break the window and make it look like I escaped through the window and then hide in the rafters, they'll come in, look at the window, think, oh, shit, he escaped from the window and they're too big to crawl through it. Right. So they'll leave and then they'll give him to leave. But he leaves his case on the ground, which and he's sweating profusely. So he's in the rafters. He's sweating. The sweat drips. You think Mission Impossible stole this? I don't think stole it. I think that he was like, they're like, I don't know. What do we do with this scene? And Tom is like, well, have you seen the firm? (laughs) It's kind of great, though. I hope I hope. uh, Okay, that's my life plan. If I ever happen to meet uh, Tom Cruise, that is like if you You could meet Tom Cruise on him. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, no, he drips sweat on me. Uh, if I ever meet Tom Cruise and I have one chance, (laughs) I have one chance to ask him one question. I would be like, Mr. Cruise, is there any connection between the sweat scene in the firm and the sweat scene in Mission Impossible? Has Michael Caine gotten back to you on the island yet? Uh, no, he Mm, hasn't. Yeah, surprisingly. So Wilford Brimley tells Jigsaw, hey, I'm going to go in the front. You go in this way. And then they just forget that the other one's in the building. <laughs> no, what's so beautiful about it is that uh, he he sees Jigsaw's like shadow silhouette. But he holding Jigsaw is holding the briefcase and he just assumes that that's Cruz. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. And then Cruz beats an old man with diabetes to death. Maybe, maybe. Um, so Cruz then is like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go talk to some mafia guys. And I don't think you could pick two better people for these roles. No, I agree. I agree. I'm pretty sure one of them has played a mafia guy before. They both have all the time. And the one guy, so you have Paul Servino, obviously, but then Joe Vitarelli. I was like, what have I seen him from? Okay, maybe you can clarify, because I feel like I've seen him something too. Well, he was in Analyze This, but the thing, I was like, what do I analyze this and analyze that? I was like, but what is the thing that I recognize him from being super like mafia guy? And it's Mickey Blue Eyes, which is like maybe a lesser known movie, but it's... um. Mickey Blue Eyes is a Hugh Grant movie where he like like sort of gets in, you know, he gets in the mafia a little bit like his father. Oh, stars Gene Triplehorn, who is Abby in this movie. But James Caan is like his soon to be father in law and like he gets like in the mafia a little bit. So um, but I think this is my favorite scene in the movie where he talks to the mafia guys and he's like the guys like, hey, you care to sit down? He's like, not really. And he just kind of goes in this whole thing about how, like, I'm your attorney and my firm has been overbilling you and I need you to sign off to show that they've been overbilling you. I can give it to the FBI. And the one guy is like, well, but what? And he like knows exactly what question he's going to ask. He's like, no, no other information of yours is going to go to the FBI. I'm going to keep all of that. But I will have it and I do have it. And 
I'm just like the metaphor he uses about like just a ship that never goes to port. He's like, as long as I'm alive, I'll just never, you know, it'll just, I'll just be out there and you'll never have to worry about it. It's like, it's, it's the best scene to me. Once he, uh, no, it's good. Once he has that and he goes, um, I think Ed Harris goes to his house. Right. And, um, They first go to Tammy's office and then they go to his house because they find nothing at the office, basically. That's right. That's right. But he's he he basically hands him over all this stuff. He's like, this is enough to put him away. He's like, this is what? What is this? He's like, "Okay, it's not sexy, but, you know, it's it's stuff that'll stick. And um, he explains the Capone like it's it's how it's how we got Al Capone. And, uh, you know, for every what every file it's like what five years and the minimum of ten thousand dollar fine ten thousand dollar fine but there's like hundreds of these right there's like you could put them away for life and like four million dollars they owe you like it would shut down the firm immediately ed harris isn't too happy about it but he like accepts it uh and then you have abby coming back yeah, and there's this part beforehand where um, uh, when she's talking to Gene Hackman, he's like, listen, Abby, we set your husband up. You know, he, he we set him up because we wanted dirt on him. That's what the firm does. And I was like, oh, so she's just going to forgive him because he was set up, even though it's like the firm didn't take his dick and put it in the hooker, right? Like he still mm. did that part, but mm-hmm. like, in the in the 1990s movie logic because it was a setup to get it you know to make him dirty like it's it's fine and so she decides to take him back which i think she was anyway um but yeah she I just was thought, she was pretty much there any yeah yeah and then <laughs> before that though when ed harris is like how did you even think about mail fraud and he's like because it was on the bar and they made me steady for it so hard it's like so it's their fault that I it's was able to fault. undo them. Um and yeah, and then there's this weird nineties voiceover as like the credits are rolling where it's like, oh, we're gonna go back to Boston and we'll start this little little firm and you know, everything is gonna be okay. Yeah, I I don't know. Do you like <sighs> I mean, that's such a trope of the times, right? Like, it's not my favorite thing. They could have just ended it without that, and I would have been okay. But at least, you know, like, he starts his own firm. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, I don't think... I just don't think you need the voiceover. I just think you, like, in the movie now, like, just leaves that kind of a chance. Or leaves that to, like, the imagination. Here's Here's a thought. They filmed it. They filmed him, like, putting some boxes in an empty office and like brushing off a nameplate or something. But the movie is already so goddamn long that they had to cut it and they're like, oh, but how will they know he started his own firm? And then some executives like, oh, we'll just have him do a voiceover quickly at the end while the credits are like beginning to roll. And everyone's like, great. And that's what I think, too, is like the movie's already so long is that there's a definitely like maybe a scene needed to like clarify a few things. But they probably just cut it for time. Like clarify what? Uh, We were talking about uh, something that was like, oh, if we never saw. Like 
Exactly. Uh, yeah, uh, Abby and Tammy. Abby and Tammy knew each other. It's like maybe they just felt like, oh, we shot it, but we don't really need it. And that just was like a scene that ended up on the cutting room floor, you know? Maybe. Yeah, I don't remember. I just I don't remember it being it wasn't an issue when I watched it like it didn't. Well, obviously, obviously, because it ended up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> well, no, I'm saying it didn't. Yeah, well, whatever. Um, there's a couple things. So originally, you know, this was uh, directed by Sidney Pollack. Originally, Tom Cruise wanted to direct and star in it. Um, Francis McDormand was considered for the role of Tammy. I think Holly Hunter is a better huh. choice. Robin Wright turned down the part of Abby, which I think huh. she would have it's it's a it's a smaller it's like i don't know i think either could have done it i think gene Triplehorn's fine in it um and jason patrick and charlie sheen i think were either considered or turned down the mitch mcdeer role the like the tom cruise role i think tom right. cruise is like the person for this oh he's the perfect uh, one, person for this one thing um i read which is kind of interesting is Sidney pollock originally thought about having mitch mcdeer be a woman and have an affair with the Avery Tolar Gene Hackman. Um, and it was going to be played by Meryl Streep. And that would have been interesting, but the movie has this whole kind of theme and like, like, you know, the fact that all the attorneys are like white men and like, I don't know, it's just having her come in and it, it would have changed a lot. I think it still would have worked. Right. But I don't know. The movie is, for all the like shit talking we did about the plot conveniences, the movie is like highly entertaining and like, you know, it's a very good movie. Um, but yeah, that would have been an interesting take on it. Yeah. I mean, look, I, like you said, this movie doesn't have the best ratings, but I really like it. And I, when I first saw it, I was like, Oh, I'm sure you've seen this. And then when you told me you haven't, I was just like, I was like kind of, disappointed because I wanted to talk to you about it immediately. But then I was like, oh, yeah, thank But then I was like, oh, wait, I, 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 by the way, I had to wait a year and a half to talk to you about this. film. (laughs) Um, But then I was like, oh, shit, we could do an episode on it because it fits our criteria pretty, pretty perfectly. Um, I told my dad, my dad last night, um, this was one of the movies that was in our VHS cabinet. And I told him, I was like, I never watched it because I looked on the back and saw it was rated R, but not for nudity. And I was like, why waste my time? Um, you know, I, when I was younger, I wanted to be a lawyer and the movie that made me want to be a lawyer was daredevil with Ben Affleck. And, uh, yeah. Um, and do you think if you saw this, cause this is your, your tax lawyer, this is about tax lawyers. If you saw this film when you were younger, do you think it would have made you want to go down this career that you've already gone down more? Or do you think it would have made you want to stay away from it? I don't know. I sort of just back. I mean, I wanted to be a lawyer since the time to kill. Um, and I, the the tax law part, I just sort of backed into. So it wasn't really a choice. It was more of just like a, things worked out that way. So, hey, you I could be love- sitting on a quarter of a million dollars a year if you took the tom cruise route that's true that's true well i just would have had to been top five at harvard so (laughs) well thanks for listening to another episode of i finally watched i'm alon and this is david and today i finally watched the firm